0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu.
1: Oh, this is Russell Moore and you're listening to The Russell Moore Show brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week we explore here conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week we have a conversation to seek to do just that. It is a really Tough time to even turn on the news right now. There's so many things that seem to be falling apart all over the world. And there are also things that rarely make it onto the news that are falling apart and are horrifying and that uh, call for Christians to engage along with our fellow citizens. Now, today, I know what some of you might be thinking, which is to say, well, I don't know a lot about foreign policy or china policy or those sorts of things so this doesn't really affect me i promise you it does we're going to be talking about tiktok we're going to be talking about the the technologies that are all over your kids devices your devices and what that means for the future. So stay with us, Nuri Turkel. He has written a book called No Escape, The True Story of China's Genocide of the Uyghurs. And he knows of what he speaks. He serves on the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Nuri Turkel, thanks for being on the show today.
2: Thank you very much for having me on, Dr. Moore.
1: Now, you were born in a re-education camp, is that right?
2: That's correct. I was born in a Chinese re-education camp during the height of this infamous cultural revolution in fall 1970. My mother was in her third trimester when she was taken in to the Red Guards run re-education camp, which is very similar to the camps that Xi Jinping's China is, is running and locking up millions of Uyghurs. So she gave birth to me in the camp, and she and I spent the, the next uh, several months in captivity, going through indoctrination, you know, physical, emotional torture. So we were released in spring 1971. And ironically that the international community, the Uyghur diaspora, the Uyghurs in communist China today, dealing with a similar type of collective punishment, Mainly because of their religion, mainly because of the ethnic racial background,
1: how did your mom make it through that? what 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 resources, inner resources? I, I would think it would take quite a bit of strength just just to make it through.
2: My mother is a remarkable lady. She was only in her twentieth, early twentieth when she went through that extraordinarily painful situation. She was newly vetted, and my dad, university-educated, intellectual, public, intellectual, sent to agricultural labor camp, which is uh, three hours away from my place of birth, Kashgar, in the heart of Central Asia. And my paternal grandfather was also taken into a re-education camp in a separate location. It was a a family tragedy. My mom's crime was that she is a daughter of a, a strong person, a leader, who wanted to have a free Uyghur nation for the Uyghur people, and then my father's crime was he had relatives in the Soviet Union. My mother endured hardship, physical abuses, verbal abuses on daily basis as somebody who was raised in a very conservative Uyghur society that followed very strict religious teaching, conservative lifestyle. She even endured as 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 things such as the guards. making mockery comments, offensive comments about her pregnancy, calling Mm -hmm. her names. But one thing that she had hope, but one thing that she was able to to survive was to make sure that she brings me to this world. So that was one of the main things that she kept going, trying to protect me, protect herself. Mm -hmm. But she got injured a, a later part of her pregnancy. And she was wearing a cast waist down. So essentially she gave a birth to me while she was injured physically.
1: Mm. That's, that's horrifying. If you were to explain to an American, and, and I say this because you do this all the time, but to an American who doesn't have any background, who says, well, who are the Uyghurs? How would you explain?
2: I used to uh, use very simple expressions such as the Uyghurs are the other Tibetans that you have not heard of. But but this was an old story. In the past four or five years, perhaps even longer, we've been using the terms like China's committing modern day genocide against the Uyghur people, enslaving the Uyghur people in a global supply chain, using some of the most sophisticated uh, technology to carry out this modern day tech genocide. So with that background, I always uh, tell people that the Uyghurs are one of the most ancient peoples in the world, made a, a significant contribution to the civilization, specifically the uh, Central Asian cultural and history in People's Republic of China. That's an official name for Chinese uh, Communist China. Uh, there are about 12 million Uyghurs uh, based on official statistics. The Uyghur people have believed, uh, practiced various religion throughout the history, shamanism, Christianity, and uh, Islam since the 13th century. The Uyghurs uh, follow Sunni Islam. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Sufi Muslim Uyghurs as well. They are very uh, progressive, a modern uh, version of Islam. That is kind of a big part of the Turkish society even today, if you will. And Uyghur people speak uh, Turkic language, a dialect very close to those uh, dialects spoken in Central Asia. The closest is the Uzbek language. The Uyghur people and Turkish people today in Anatolia and Central Turkey or in Istanbul can understand each other without interpreter for the most part. The Uyghur people's homeland is so precious to the Chinese. Uh, Some Uyghurs like to say Uyghurs are both blessed and cursed, blessed because their homeland is is massive, four times the size of the California, rich natural resources. But at the same time, that made it so attractive, valuable piece of property to the Chinese. So that made them to engage in this modern day genocide, trying to get rid of the Uyghur people.
1: So is that at the root of why the Chinese Communist Party hates the Uyghur people and mistreats them this way, is is the land?
2: The the stated objective, as most repressive uh, governments, authority, and regime often blame the population when they want political rights, democratic freedom, that the Chinese claim that they are fighting against three forces, uh, extremism, terrorism, and separatism. But there's no verifiable information put out by the Chinese government that there are a, a organized a separatist movement or violent activities the the news that they put out has never been verified i believe it was last year Secretary Blinken said in his 60-minute interview that the United States and China don't see eye to eye on this uh, terrorism claim. And also previously, Secretary Pompeo also revoked a decision made by the Bush administration designating a Uyghur organization that most people never heard of as a terrorist organization. So the previous administration, current administration pushed back on the Chinese claim that they are fighting against terrorism. even if. That that's a legitimate plausible argument you cannot claim that you have three million terrorists in your on your soil just anyone who's listening to the program could do independent research can tell a country with that large number of a terrorist threat may not exist and may not survive so the the Chinese claim is self-defeating but the actual reason is quite simple the the Chinese fear of the Western influence. The Western influence entail religious freedom, free speech, free elections, all the democratic rights, all the freedom that that we people uh, live in the free world appreciate. So what is China's problem with the religion? The Chinese government starting Xi Jinping years in early 2012 and 2013, identified Western religion or foreign religion poses an existential threat to the Chinese Communist Party. The communist ideology and the Abrahamic faith uh, specifically are not compatible. Uh, Chinese have figured it out. What's
1: specific about the Abrahamic faith?
2: You know, they, they lump everything together and call it a Western religion. There used to be a small Jewish population in the area called Kaifeng in China. They have been migrated to Israel. But there are a sizable Christian community, Catholics, underground church members, and then the Uyghur Muslims. And the Chinese Communist Party believe that these two religions is particularly uh, uh, problematic. A, they are not showing the type of loyalty to the Communist Party. So for the Christians, for the Muslims, in order to show your loyalty to the Communist Chinese, a Chinese Communist Party, you have to walk away from a religion. That is no go. And then the Chinese believe that these two religions teaches the things that is that are not in line with this new religion that the Chinese have been promoting, the Xi Jinping thoughts. Uh, Today, the Chinese government, uh, through very systematic, deliberate, and aggressive methods rewriting the text in the Bible and Quran. So their problem, uh, as former Ambassador Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback often says, China is at war on religion. So we have uh, this problem that we have been ignoring for the most part, and oftentimes, Dr. Moore, you may agree, that uh, when we ignore religious freedom violations, we end up having much bigger problems, atrocity crimes, ethnic cleansing, genocide, crimes against humanity. So when people look at the Chinese government's problem with the others, the first thing we need to look at is how they see that group or that individual's ethno-religious background, specifically those who follow Islam and Christianity. There are about Uh, 8 million Catholics in China. The Vatican are not allowed to have a saying in the bishop's appointment. They also, we have seen reports that the Chinese are removing the cross from the church buildings because the international community has not really shown the type of response when the Chinese Communist Party is committing genocide on a broad daylight in the past seven years.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
1: Can you think of an example? What what would it be like with the Chinese Communist Party rewriting scripture?
2: So what they do is the, the, the belief. So they're starting with two things. One, everything that you have in life, everything that you enjoy professionally, personally, that you're indebted to the party. So instead of thanking God, you have to thank the Communist Party. And then the mm-hmm. other thing is that the loyalty, utmost loyalty, that they do have ways to change and twist. And then the third thing that they use is instead of letting people to follow the scripture, they've made people to go through a weekly political study session, patriotic education session, to forcing people to accept Xi Jinping thoughts as a new religion. In my book, China China's War on Religion, uh, it profiled camp survivors. So every day starting from six o'clock, they have to chant a uh, slogan, uh, denouncing their religion, saying things like yeah. my religion is evil. My religion will not help me to eat full and have a, f- a roof over my head. And my religion is not helping me to relieve pain and suffering. Only communist party will do that. So. Anyone who who follows a strict religious teaching and have a spiritual life can appreciate if a government, an individual, force you to condemn your God, condemn mm-hmm. your religion, and believe in a twisted logic, such as the Xi Jinping thoughts, it can break your spirit. It can create mental health yeah. issues for you.
1: Well, not, not to mention that separation of inner and, and outer, Some someone believes something internally and is being forced to say outwardly that they reject it. That That's a mental health crisis as well as a religious freedom
2: crisis. Absolutely, absolutely. So it, it is something related to that excellent point. A couple of years ago, Frontline released a documentary, an hour-long documentary. In it, a reporter interviewed the Chinese Communist Party uh, security, uh, it, official in the Chinese Communist Party security. And he acknowledged when the question was, are you gonna release these people if you're done re-educating them? And the the police said, we cannot release them because they've gone mad. If you release them, they will become social criminals. So that that gives an idea that the Chinese government has done enough damages to the Uyghur families and the Uyghur soul and the Uyghur religion. Mm. So
1: how does, I mean, when you think about things that Western people think have been long gone, concentration camps, forced labor. How does that affect say the products that people buy in the West?
2: The two things are happening, Dr. Moore, today in the world, one, we have forgotten our moral obligation because of our addiction to cheap consumer products. There are 83 global brands as reported by Australian Strategic Partnership Institute that literally you know covers everything that you and I and listeners to this program consume daily all the big brand names including Heinz ketchup Coca-Cola the Apple products clothing such as made by Hugo Boss H&M Muji's you know Uniqlo you name it 83 global including solar panels So because of our addiction and because of the investors in these industries in China, in the past 20, 30 years, specifically since China joined the WTO in 2002, we kind of ignored the modern day slavery. This is not something new. You know, as I noted earlier, my dad, my father was forced to perform agricultural labor in 1970, 1971. But the international community just find out about it for the most part during the COVID, because we were told that through media reporting in New York Times and CNN and other outlets that even the PPEs that the American people were using to save lives were made with the slave labor. The beauty products, Mm. the wigs, as reported on on CNN after the U.S. Customs and Border Protection seized 13 tons of human hair-made products reportedly made with the Uyghur detainees' hair. So
1: you're saying that wigs that, that American people are wearing were made with Uyghur people's hair Reportly,
2: Reportedly so. And it was, uh, Dr. Mo it was just one shipment that CBP seized. How many shipments did we miss? I, I have pages in my book interviewing female friends, including my own wife, asking how many ladies' hair need to be shaved in order to make one uh, wig. And the answer is quite disturbing. You have to shave a significant number of women's head uh, hair mm-hmm. to make a, a shipment. And ironically, and also quite sadly, disturbingly, the products were targeted to a woman with a dark hair or a brown hair uh, preference in American society. So it could have been sent to Latin America, it could have been sent to Southern Europe. And, and they call it black gold, essentially what the Chinese government has done with this forced labor practices, establishing quota, yanking away the working age Uyghurs or Uyghur individuals at a marriageable age to camps to prevent them to establish families and perform forced labor. Today, there's another piece just published online that the seafood products that we are consuming today also made with the Uyghur slave labor. This is in a New Yorker magazine. There's a future investigative reporting just published today. I invite your listeners to take a look at. The other thing is also quite disturbing. For years, American investors have been investing in Chinese high tech. American Silicon Valley has been helping the Chinese technology firms to establish this or build this surveillance uh, system industry. So essentially, uh, we are having IBM 2.0 today. This has been ongoing cooperation the last 20 years the hedge fund, the, the uh, venture capitalist investing, and American Silicon Valley companies are helping to build this most sophisticated uh, technology that the world has not seen today.
1: So it's, it's the sort of thing that would have facial recognition, say if someone were coming in and out of an underground church, that, that surveillance technology is being helped along by America.
2: Absolutely. I'll tell you a story. In uh, in 2017, uh, this is in my book, a Uyghur young man in his 30s went, uh, goes back home to be with his ailing aging parents as a European citizen. And then Chinese take him, took him into a uh, police custody, it put him in the, uh, this torture equipment called tiger chair, and he sits there and listens to the police complaining about the mass arrest list that the, the printer is spitting out. And later we find out the same year that the in, uh, International Consortium for Investigative Journalists published something called Xinjiang Papers, which is a top uh, secret document leaked out. It, in it, it says just in one count in 10 days, 17,000 Uyghurs were rounded up. And this young man is one of the seventeen thousand people that included professors and doctors, musicians, athletes, religious teachers, uh, writers, and also the, the 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 disturbing aspect of this whole thing is that the, even police did not know why they were arresting so many people, and then later, mm-hmm. you know, through various reporting and investigative uh, uh, analysis, have done show that these arrest list was established something called uh, Integrated Joint Operating Platform, and which was pre-programmed by AI algorithm. So the Chinese way of rounding these people up and essentially collecting personal data, looking at your past travel history, writing, teaching, speaking, and then pro- establish this massive database, and then just order people who might be posing problem to the government. If the government believed that you may be committing something, and and the ethno-religious groups are the most vulnerable ones, then they can take you into the camp. So, so all of this have been done with the help of the AI algorithm. Today, the Chinese government has established the AI totalitarian uh, society. And I'll share another disturbing aspect of the Chinese technology. In December 2021, the Biden administration entity listed as the export ban uh, by the Commerce Department. A Chinese military medical academy and its 11 affiliates for developing brain control weaponry, designed to be used for ethno-religious groups in China.
1: Brain control?
2: Let's, let's, let, this is, this is, uh, there's a reporting on Financial Times, uh, it's, it's something called brain control weaponry. The the Chinese Military Medical Academy and its 11 affiliates been blacklisted by the Commerce Department, meaning that American firms cannot support this, these entities with software or hardware. And also the, the company called DGI, the uh, Chinese uh, technology firm, has been uh, developing uh, equipment to monitor pregnant ladies to detect if that mother have any mental health issues so that the government can perform a forced abortion so this is what they called population control mechanism which is a euphemistic term for eugenics an attempt yeah. to identify indicators of mental illness in pregnant mothers to prevent that mother to deliver Baby, so this has been so. Yeah. It's like a science. I mean, it sounds like a science fiction dystopia, but these are the real things happening in China. So I challenge your listeners to do a little bit more careful thinking. That when myself, our government officials, members of Congress, and concerned citizens sounding the alarm on the Chinese technology, they should not take it a political statement or hyperbolic statement. And one more point. This is also very important. 75 countries today use artificial intelligence. 60 of them are supplied with the technology linked to Chinese state. And of that 60, 50 of them are supplied by Huawei, now a giant in the AI field. So this is another another thing that we often hear, the Huawei 5G. United States government trying to persuade our allies and partners not to use it. It's a security That risk is real. As we speak, there are 80 countries around the world, as Secretary Blinken noted in his China speech last May, around the world have either adopted, imported the Chinese surveillance techniques. And that includes countries like even Germany, Canada, New Zealand. So we have a real problem with the Chinese technology. So those are the two things, the modern day slavery and the AI algorithm supported tech genocide and surveillance of every aspect of Uyghur lives have been some of the most disturbing aspects of the ongoing genocide.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, A Bounty Hunter's Journey to Faith, Hope, and Redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more.
1: One of the things I wanted to ask you is about TikTok. We have many listeners, I know, who are using TikTok. Uh, If not, you have many parents of people who are using TikTok. And if not that, many people who in their churches, their campus ministries, student ministries, youth ministries are using TikTok. And then they hear some of our leaders saying that actually could be dangerous. What's your view?
2: TikTok is a, a digital fentanyl, as uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher and the Federal Communications Commissioner, uh, Brandon Carr, have accurately pointed out. Why do we call it the digital fentanyl? We need to start looking at who owns this platform. The TikTok is owned by a company called uh, ByteDance in China, which is a Chinese government entity. The TikTok has 150 million subscribers in the United States. That gives you an idea how one hundred fifty million. Yes, half one hundred fifty million subscribers in the United States. Any media company, any TV host, any newspaper—if they have half of that subscription—would have been very, very happy. That 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 gives a, a general public a, a a news that they need to read and follow. But in the TikTok case, Biden's is is a Chinese state-owned. It has a strategic partnership agreement with China's Ministry of Public Security, and also has a JV with two other state-owned media organizations. So essentially, ByteDance is today's world, uh, world's largest uh, media organization that feeds news to 115 million TikTok users in the United States. On top of that, so essentially the American people who are who have TikTok on their phone, one allowing the Chinese to monitor. Once you have that app, you open the back door. So it's it's conceivable- to how,
1: th- how does that open the door to monitor? Because
2: you allow uh, access to your phone, your contacts, your photos, your videos. That naturally, and also when you access, when you access, allow access for location, that essentially becomes a GPS device for you to be monitored. So the, the Chinese apps such as TikTok and WeChat are are listening device. This is why the American lawmakers, policymakers, been sounding the alarm that it it is not only damaging to American youth, who should be studying science and technology and following. Their uh, religious belief or social values, American values, they're listening to the Chinese news. We have uh, seen uptick in the uh, female users committing suicide as reported. American hmm. youth follow uh, having this app having body image image problem, wasting their times uh, watching short videos. whereas
1: is it, is that an intentional move? It is uh, with the algorithm. Uh,
2: it 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 directs you to that point, direction. Here's why I believe it, it it appeared to be the intentional attempt to have this device in 150 million American people's pocket. When you look at the Chinese version of Do, TikTok, it's called Doyin, they teach, uh, they have a content for science technology, for learning, and TikTok ironically is banned in China. So what, mm. uh, what does it tell us? Why would they ban something that they are aggressively uh, promoting to American people to use and using First Amendment to push back when we try to limit, if not complete ban of TikTok? So they, mm. uh, in, in March, there was a hearing in the US Congress The same day that I went to testify at the uh, CCP Select Committee, there was a momentum, but based on a reporting uh, in the Wall Street Journal recently, an American billionaire who invested in Biden's have been lobbying to silence our lawmakers from doing the right thing. So, so TikTok is is a dangerous uh, platform that American people should delete, and there's a reason for half of the American fifty states, nearly half of them, banning TikTok. And another example, another thing, uh, example for people to remember, the federal government employees are not allowed to have TikTok on their phones. It is not hyperbolic for. American policymakers, the advocates to restrict this app in our daily lives to call it digital fentanyl?
1: I have been told by a couple campus ministers on university campuses in the United States that they've had an issue with Chinese students who pretend to be Christians in order to report back about the genuinely Christian Chinese students who are there or their families. Is that, is that true? Is that happening in the United States?
2: The Hoover Institution published a report, Dr. Moore, a few years ago about China's influence operations in our academia, in our media organizations, policy circle, including think tanks. They summarized the operations in three words, corrupt, coercive, corrosive influence operation, they call it the three Cs. And all of it can be found in university campuses. And how has that been accomplished? In the following two ways. One, they have the, this Chinese Student Association that is uh, not only funded by the Chinese embassy or consulates in the United States and around the world. And they also use something called Confucius Institute with the with the claim that they are providing that learning opportunity for Americans to learn Chinese history, Chinese language, it sounds innocuous. But all of this are controlled by something called the United Work Front Department. Uh, Bethany Allen, the Axios China reporter, recently published a book called when Beijing Rules. In it, she described what this entity specifically does in the United States. A course in pressuring our professors, the academia. Like this may also surprise your listeners. Today, it will be hard to find a group of, quote unquote, China experts in our our universities could publicly call out the Chinese government the way that our members of Congress or the advocates for human rights or religious freedom in China do. Why? Because they're afraid of being punished by China. If you're a China scholar, China expert, or a a professor teaching Chinese, If you're reported by your students about the content, the syllabus that they use in the classes, then you'll be banned from entering China. If you're banned from entering China, Mm. your career is pretty much finished.
1: You know, I think there are a lot of people who, when they look at this, and they also look at the awful situation right now in Israel, the horrific situation right now in Ukraine. It seems like the, the entire world is on fire. And there are many people, I think, who would say, "Well, what can I even begin to do?" And so you may have somebody who's a a follower of Jesus, a Christian, who says, "I can, I can pray for concentration camps with uh, weaker people in them, or any of these other disasters." But, but is there anything I can really do?
2: Thank you for that question, Doctor Moore. I. I work in the uh, space of international religious freedom. It has been truly an honor privilege as an immigrant to be appointed by Congress to serve in this crucial role. I travel around the world. I have been heartwarmed as you recall that when you were president at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention with your leadership uh, the convention recognized the Uyghur atrocities as a genocide, the first religious group to, to do that. I haven't seen my mother since my law school graduation. It's been nearly 20 years, and I don't even know when I will see her again. My dad passed away last uh, April while I was on a official trip to uh, Uzbekistan while being in a location, which is essentially the same distance between New York and Washington DC, I could not go Mm. pay respect to my late father and hold my mother and grieve together, simply because I have been sanctioned by Chinese Communist Party and also uh, Putin's Russia. So the point that I'm making is that the the, the Uyghur diaspora, the Uyghur community have been uh, indebted to follow Brothers and sisters in in, in faith community, Christian community, Jewish community, that we are very grateful for. One thing that I can immediately ask your listeners to do is to pray for the Uyghur people. Pray for those 800,000 to 1 million Uyghur children deprived of their parents' love. New York Times reported that 800,000 Uyghur children have been forcibly separated from their families and taken to state-run orphanages. And and some of those parents living in Turkey and elsewhere recognize their children in the state-run uh, video promotions on uh, TikTok, which is the Chinese version of the, Douyin, which is a, a Chinese version of TikTok. You don't have to be parent to appreciate what what happens, what, how it feels if somebody take your children away while locking up in a concentration camp. So praying for the Uyghur people would be a good start. And the second thing that you could do is when you see, when you go out for shopping next time, whether it be an Amazon or any department store, if you see a product made in China, the chances of you buying products made with Uyghur labor is, is quite high. There's a documented evidence that 83 global brands and their thousands of suppliers based in China have been using forced labor to pollute the global supply chain forced labor is a cancer on our values. We should not continue to fund this genocide with our dollars or Mm -hmm. consumer habits. When the consumers speak out, the boardroom will hear from us. When the boardroom Mm -hmm. hear from us, that will pressure the executives to do the right thing. And then related to this point, I would like you to get on the phone call your senator, call your uh, congressman, congresswoman, ask them to uh, tighten up the existing laws, close the loopholes, including the loopholes in the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act that still allows solar panels coming to the United States, knowing that solar panels are made with the slave labor. We need to close the loopholes to make our laws effective and enforceable. And then the second thing, you know, I I used to or I have been one of those people in the policy circle in a a human rights community doing naming, shaming of global brands. It has not really bring the type of result that we want to see. We could not even
1: stop. Naming and shaming, that means calling out a particular company and saying they're they're doing.
2: They're complicit or making us complicit as a global Mm -hmm. consumers. Last, uh, early last year, when the Chinese were pairing for the uh, genocide Olympics, uh, that our government diplomatically boycotted. The American companies, Coca-Cola, Nike, Visa, Airbnb, were sponsoring. And when they were summoned to Congress to testify, none of them, this is something that Congressman Jim McGovern often uh, referenced, uh, so is Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio, none of them even acknowledged that there's a, a human rights abuses against Uyghur people. So we've been doing that, but it didn't really, really uh, brought up the type of result that we wanted to see. So call you senator, call you congressman to make new laws. New laws should be holding those business executives, investors to account. Unless we make it difficult for them to operate or create additional legal risk, reputational risk, and investment risk, it will be difficult to make them to do the right thing or get onto the right side of the history. And also, I can't talk enough of the the dangerous aspect of emerging technology, technology specifically AI religious freedom. I mean, I don't want to be claimed to be an expert, but somebody who lived in the both world, somebody who has been following the, the Chinese technology development, that has not been a moral progress, uh, that has not been a, a factor for fostering freedom or making our lives easier. And this thing is metastasizing. There are 80 countries based on the US government's estimate is adopting the Chinese technology. There's no regulation, there's no oversight of the the AI. In the future, they can uh, fake stuff that could be used to punish religious teachers, religious followers changing, exchanging uh, religious texts, religious materials, religious content uh, that are not approved by the state or sanctioned by the state can cause problems for vulnerable communities around the world. That includes Christians in China, Christian church members. So we need to call on, uh, uh, urge our government to put in place a strong regulatory measures to to, uh, govern the the emerging technologies that have been misused for human rights abuses and religious persecution. I, I, do, I do genuinely believe that there is a political will. Recently, the CEOs of the high-tech firms came to Washington and pledged, uh, that includes Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk and others, that the AI need to be regulated, which is a good news, but we need mm-hmm. to uh, uh, pressure our politicians to do the right thing.
1: The book is called No Escape: The True Story of China's Genocide of the Uyghurs. Nuri Turkell, thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you very much for having me on, Dr. Moore.
1: The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore, produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers are Abby Perry. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton.